Welcome back to episode two of series three of Ford of at Halftime. This week we're discussing our underrated players and I'm joined by Alex Raspin. All right, mate? Yeah, not too bad, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Quite looking forward to this. We've got Dave back in a minute to join us and we've got a few players we've been kicking up about who we think are underrated. Do you want to go through the underrated criteria on for your list? Yeah, I think really is. I mean, a lot. All of these players are high-profile players, really. But players that I just don't think really got the recognition that they deserved. Some of them now because they're playing now. Others who, who've kind of retired now, but slipped off the radar a little bit. People tend to forget about them. I just think they deserve a little bit of the limelight for a few minutes. <laughs> well, they'll get a few minutes. That is what they will get. <laughs> a few of the boys I've got sort of people that support the clubs they played for will know and they'll think, yeah, they're not underrated. But if you don't support the club they play for, I would say potentially they're not on your radar very much. I've got a few of those as well and I bet you we've got a, a few that maybe cross over as well. Because yeah. the same ones tend to pop up, don't they, a lot? That's it. I think uh, in the research to it, I was looking through just old team sheets and articles and stuff and um, a few names popped up a few times. So we, we may have a little crossover here. Just We don't know each other's players, do we? Just keep it interesting. We're going to speak today back a minute. I've just seen Bruno Fernandez's bag already in the Champions League. I don't know what day I'm going to put this out, but we're on Tuesday night, aren't we? And he's just scored. It wasn't one of those stupid penalties, was it? I'm absolutely sick of them. They're ridiculous, aren't they? It, it says just goal. It doesn't say peno. Um, not that it said peno. It would say penalty. But he, um, I think it must just be from in open play. Yeah, they're so they're so irritating. Man United get so many penalties as well, so I have to watch it on repeat. Well, it was literally a repeat on Saturday against the Albion. Yeah, you had two, didn't you? I think that was fair, though, wasn't it? He was well off his line, wasn't he? I think so. I agree, but I don't agree with ours getting overturned. What do you think about that? Do you know what? I mean, I hate, I hate Manu with a passion. And I really don't like that ref. Is it David Coop? I think it was. Yeah. Um, but I, I thought he got it right when he overturned it. No, I feel sick now, you saying that. I thought you knew a little bit about football. Disgusting <laughs> thing to say. <laughs> I thought I thought he got a bit of him, but not enough to bring him down like that. And did it, and just before did Man U um, score a bit later in the game, or nearly nearly scored? And he dived, didn't he? At one point, is it Gallagher? Is it Gallagher? Yeah, he's a great player as well. By the way, he'll, he'll be starting centre mid for England within three years. Called it here first. Well, let's keep an eye on him. But he's a great player. I know where you're coming from. He did sort of touch the ball, but the force was just completely unnecessary. He's gone to ha- whack the ball, and he's whacked him in the shin, basically. I don't know in what world that isn't a penalty. He's, I think it was the way he went down, wasn't it? It didn't really help him. It worked against him, didn't it? That he, a bit dramatic. If he just went down naturally, let him sweep his foot under him, he can't overturn it because he made it look like that. And like Troy Deeney said on Talk Sport, if it was the other way around, it wouldn't matter anyway because the penalty would have stood. Yeah. Coot was the ref with um, the Everton-Liverpool game when Van Dijk got injured. And then uh, he, he was on V. No, sorry, he was on VAR, wasn't he? He wasn't the ref. And um, he ruled out that Mane goal, Sadio Mane goal at the end. And on, a, yeah, on his Facebook page, I don't know if this is edited or not, but he's got um, Man United Stadium as his like, banner on Facebook. <laughs> I saw that. I don't know. I, you've got to be sceptical. I wonder if someone had done that for the crack. Yeah, possibly so. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past the Liverpool fans to give that a go. But uh, yeah, it just makes you wonder, doesn't it? He's clearly, clearly not up to it, is he, really? Let's be honest. No, I don't know how many there are. And in terms of people blaming VAR for a lot of things, it's not really VAR. It's still people making the decisions. I, I think when, the, when it's like 
um, what happened with, with Sadio Mane against Everton, when it's that tight, I really don't think that they should be worrying about pixels between players, which is effectively what they're doing now, isn't it? They should just be given the benefit of the doubt to the attacker in instances like that and shouldn't be spending five minutes trying to work out if his backside's offside. Yeah, 100%. There needs to be some common sense in the game as well. Killing it at the moment. Yeah, it, and it's it's all over the place, isn't it? It's it's happening every week. There's always a talking point. Well, I remember watching it in the World Cup and thinking, like, this is fine, but we just made we just make a mess of it before we even had it in. Did they trial it in the FA Cup or something like that? I'm sure I'm not making it up, but I just I just remember they were making a complete mess of it, and then they use it in the World Cup. It's absolutely fine. Comes back into the Premier League, and yeah, I feel like it's actually got worse to be honest. So I don't know if the, just the scrutiny on it has been turned up a little bit. But this season's just been a farce, really, and it really has got to the stage now where you can't you can't celebrate a goal. You you just you're waiting for something to come up, aren't you? After the event, like a little handball that you haven't seen, someone being so marginally offside that you you can't see it with the naked eye. You're just waiting, and it's not really until the game kicks off again that you can celebrate. It's ridiculous, isn't it? I agree, and it is real, isn't it? You've got like a, a striker's foreskin offside, and he's. <laughs> <laughs> you, need all the, you need all the goals, all the points you can get them in it. You could really have done with that penalty the other day. I tell you what, if if that if we don't if that happens, if we take a point at Old Trafford or maybe three, you got to remember we hit the bar as well, and Connor Townsend probably should have scored. It was a good save by De Gea. We could have easily got a point that day. The week before, we were pretty much robbed of a point against Spurs. We grafted all game, played really well, and then Sam Johnson. Um, made a terrible error. He sort of he left himself in no man's land. Either you come claim it, or you stay on your line, and make it hard. He just in no man's land. I mean, we've had a couple of bit worse performances than that. We, but we've sort of started to come good. We played really well second half against Brighton, which we we could have easily won that game on another day. Um, and then obviously we conceded three against Chelsea when we were three nil up, and that's a bit different because we were played off the park. But all those little fine margins, we could be sitting in about twelfth now. Um, going into our game against Sheffield United and thinking, oh, well, if we get a point, it's fine. But now we're in a situation where it's become, it was already like a, a, a massive relegation battle game. I was looking at the table yesterday and there's a lot of teams on not very many points. You could be looking at some kind of embarrassing points tallies at the end of the season. I think Derby is the record with about 11, isn't it? But, well, Sheffield United have played about 10 games and only got one. And I think there's West Brom, two or three. There's another team down there, isn't there, who's hardly got any. Is it Burnley? Burnley as well, yeah. Um, did they play last night, Burnley? I, I think they did. I can't, I can't remember what the score was, though. They might be. Um, they might need to win last night because I saw that Chris Wood had picked up some points on Football Index, which is an indicator that he might have had a good game, which is an indicator that Burnley might have won. <laughs> They did. Yeah, I just quickly, just quickly googled it in that like five seconds. There, they beat Crystal Palace one nil. So, that, I think that's yeah. is that their first win of the season or something like that, isn't right. it? Yeah, and Fulham as well. If we play the way we've played in the last couple of games, I've got no doubt that we, we've got enough about us to stay up. The only difference is when you start getting into the deep of the season in the next month or two, and the fixtures get heavy, we haven't got a massive squad. And if if we get injuries, if we lose, um, I don't know, Pereira, a centre back, or we lose Grant up top. We're into our reserves straight away. We haven't we haven't got a depth of squad. We haven't got any money really to back us. So you're banned in trouble. Yeah, I don't think you did did enough in the summer, really, did you? No. I know I know there's probably reasons for that. Maybe the money. I mean, there must be a bit of money there just purely for being in the Premier League. But I can understand that the club maybe doesn't want to throw money at it when realistically you're going to be in a relegation battle. Whatever happens. Yeah, um, the, um, the owners. There's a lot of stuff on the. If you look, read the West Brom forums and. 
Um, there's a podcast about Albion. There's a lot of dodgy things going on. Um, do you remember seeing um, that thread about Wigan Athletic being taken over and then people punting in China for them to get relegated and stuff? Yes, do. I'm not saying that's happening, but I've got a feeling West Brom has just changed hands, owners, to someone else who's in like the same in the same consortium. So it's sort of being passed over within the same company. I'm not sure if that's factually exact, but something weird happened and it didn't get it didn't come out in the public. It's sort of behind closed doors stuff. So I'm hoping um, that nothing dodgy is going on or yeah. that the person that's taken it over says, go on, let's have a run at this and gives him 700 mil in January and we just go and win the league. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine that happening. Because West Brom limped over the line last season, didn't they? So if somebody would get if they wanted to nail it on relegation this season, you're taking over West Brom, you're investing nothing in the players and you're guaranteed to get relegated, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, cheers for that. <laughs> i tell you what though and I've said it before um, Pereira is he's a very good player whatever happens we'll pick up money for him we're still he's an investment for the club we got him for under 10 mil there's no way he, he, did you see that video of me nutmeg three United players the other night no I missed that but I know he's a very good player and uh, D, is it Dean Garner on the other side yeah he's just Dean Garner fucks me off because he's, he's, he hasn't got a brain he's got a lot of ability he's quick um He's got good quick feet. He's, his passing's not even that bad. But um, what he keeps doing, and I, I can't understand why, I think Slav must have had a word of him because he didn't do it against United as much. He, he keeps showing defenders or midfielders the ball, as in, like, let's have a foot race, mm. instead of getting his body. If you get your body in the way of the ball, they have to take you down um, to get to get you off the ball. It's a free kick. Or, or you, can, you can keep control of it. But if you keep showing the ball to a defender... And inviting them to have a one on one. He's so lightweight, before the foot race starts, he keeps getting pushed off the ball. It just doesn't make any sense. I don't know who's coached him that, but it's one of the thickest things I've ever seen. He needs to get the ball and protect it. Especially when you're club at West Brom, you don't get that many attacks in a game sometimes. And if he keeps giving the ball away one on one, no wonder he got dropped before the United game. And I think Slav probably just thought, do you know what, against United, we'll be sitting in, we'll just try and hit him on the counter, mm. um, which we did do. And so his pace is, is handy there. I think people underestimate how important. A good goalie is. Um, look at you know. Look what Allison did for Liverpool, for example. He, uh, I know he came in at around the same time as Van Dijk, but he kind of transformed the team really. Um, you've got Henderson, Sheffield United last season, who did brilliantly, and they haven't got him this season. There, you can see them suffering. And on the flip side, look at Pickford at Everton. Um, I reckon he is bringing them down a notch. To be honest, they've got a, a squad there at least the first eleven that should be. In and around it, the top of the league, I'm not saying Champions League spots, they should be competing for that top six, but after a good start, they've fallen away. And he's kind of, he was giving goals away left, right and centre, wasn't he, a few weeks ago? Yeah. And I just think if, you, if you've got any serious designs about staying in the Premier League, um, you, you've got to get, and well, and being around the top of the league, you, you've got to get the goalkeeping position sorted. And Sheffield United got a bit lucky this season and they're finding it a bit tougher this year, but... Coming off the Premier League, did you watch any of the internationals at all? I made a point of watching the England games. I, I always do try and watch the England games, much as I don't tend to enjoy them. I, I do get quite frustrated. I really want Southgate to do well, but I've been getting really frustrated with him not what, picking what, in my view, is the best players, playing players repeatedly who I don't think necessarily should be starting. Mm. I'm not a huge fan of Mason Mount, and I really like Jack Grealish, and I know that's one 
that's all over kind of the press, the media, isn't it? That's the one that they're peddling on Twitter at the moment. I know Southgate came out with something really funny, didn't he? Where he said uh, something about Mason Mount and keeping the memes going. Hey, you had to keep picking him. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he's got something on him or something like that. I don't, don't get me wrong. I don't think Mason Mount's... I am. I, I'd have, I think Grealish is fantastic. He's an absolutely brilliant player, to be honest. He's exactly the kind of player you want in an international game to, when you're going to come repeatedly up against countries who are just going to come sit really deep. He's exactly the kind of player that can just pick the lot and... Um, Make make the difference in those kind of games, but he really just uh, he didn't want to bring him into the squad, did he? I felt he he must have felt under pressure to bring him in because he, he clearly avoided it pretty much the whole of last season when he really should have been picking him. And then when he did pick him, he kind of did, he gave him um, he gave him about sixty seventy minutes in a friendly, and then he he didn't play him for two games. It's like come on, it's just so watching England is so frustrating for various different reasons. I agree with everything you said except for two things. Completely agree on all the Grealish stuff, hundred percent. Any other, anything to disagree with is I, I don't disagree, but I don't watch England ever anymore. I will only watch major tournaments, and that's because I feel like I have to. I don't get any enjoyment out of it. I, f- I feel like we've for so long we've put our hearts into it, and they've n- they're just nothing. And since we've had that Muppet Southgate in charge, it's only got worse. And I'm also sick of hearing that England got to the semi-finals of the World Cup. Technically, that's true, but we were absolutely shit the whole time. We didn't put one good. The best we played was probably against Colombia and we were shitting that as well. And that's only because Harry Kane carried us the whole game, making smart decisions, getting quick free kicks, holding the play up, drawing the fouls, killing the, And we still had to sneak for on penalties. I just, um, I don't buy into this Southgate nonsense. And I think, and I haven't since the start, I think people are starting to realise he's, he's another one. He's a fraud. International football is laden with managers who can't cut it in the real game. Prime examples, all over Roberto Martinez, Steve Clark, Gareth Southgate, all these guys that couldn't make it in in the actual leagues, in the Premier League, in the Championship, even and, that, and managing their international teams. It's a joke. I just don't. I don't want to dedicate my time to watching that crap. Especially like you say, when you picking players like Mason Mount, but nothing against him, he's a decent player. But we've got Jack Grealish sat there. He's probably one of the most exciting players we've had since Gaza, and he, he did. He doesn't. He didn't want to give him a look in, did he? He did not like him. You mentioned the 2018 World Cup there, and you are right. I don't think we played particularly well throughout that whole tournament. But you look at the squad that we had there. We had Deli Ali, who's he was. I think he was on the way down there. He's completely he's um, gone. Jesse Lingard was another. He played pretty much every game for England, didn't he? Certainly the ones that mattered. He's pathetic as well. Said for years, he's, he's a nothing player. I don't care what people say about his footballing brain, and he's. he's I think he's proven over the last couple of years. I think he's more interested in his nonsense than actually playing the game. Yeah, yeah, the Ashley Young playing left back um, all the games, I think. But you, you look yeah. at the team now, and he's there's a much better squad there. Cracking some excellent young players coming through in all positions. Um, and I, if he can't, I accept we might not win the tournament because you you will come up against teams who are equally as good, likes of France, Belgium, you know, countries like that. But he's got to get deep into this next tournament this summer, and and then if he's still here for the World Cup next year, he's got to do it as well. He's got to do it there as well, and I really want him to do well because of Euro '96. I always just, I just feel something. <laughs> I feel something for him. <laughs> I just want him to. I want him to do well because I think he he must have had 24 years of just. Are you reminded of that? The torture. I'm glad. I hope people remind him every day. <laughs> I want him to leave. I hope like nothing terrible happens to him. It's something bad enough that he has to leave England manager's position, but then he's all right afterwards. But as soon as he's gone, he can be fine. 
we just need a new manager in place now because, like you say, that squad is it's probably the, obviously we we saw the Lampard, Gerrard sort of era with Rooney. That was a great squad, but this is this is more maybe more exciting in terms of attacking ability. We've got some real options now, and we need someone who's going to let it happen instead of someone playing two defensive mids and thought it's just he's, he's absolutely clueless. Yeah, that's another that you just. Um, reminded me about that. That is another really frustrating thing about him, isn't it? Just insistence with playing those defensive midfielders. I mean, I, I like Declan Rice, but you know, you don't need to be playing two defensive midfielders in there when you play in Iceland at home, for example. Or... Oh, it's, it's madness. It's just I don't know what he's trying to prove. It's as though he's trying to do these things and trying to not be hot on Jack Grealish, just to say like, I am the boss. Like no one can tell me what to do. Yeah, we've got loads of attacking talent. We'll sit in. We'll show them. Like, don't just fuck off. Just play your best players. And play them in their best positions. And if they're not good enough, they don't play. If, if they don't make your team, that's fine. As long as you've got a reason. Don't just play someone because you, you want to prove a point. I think he's just on a power trip. And like you say, he's from Euro 96, he's, he's got like a chip on his shoulder or on his nose and he's trying to get it across. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a chip hanging off the end of his nose. <laughs> if it's not Southgate, I'm putting you on the spot here a bit, but if it's not Southgate then, who do you think it could, could be? Because I don't think the top managers these days, like you just said earlier, they, um, they're not interested in the international scene anymore. You used to get high-profile managers in there. I mean, it wasn't that long ago we got Fabio Capello, who, I mean, he'd done a hell of a lot in the, the 80s and the 90s, didn't he, as a manager? Not, um, and even a bit of the noughties as well. Um, but, you know, he was kind of elite at the time. Even Sven was a top yeah. Or manager at the time, but we just—I mean, the England national team is not going to get that sort of person, is it? You, you might be able to tempt Arsene Wenger or something like that. What do you reckon? That's what I was going to say. Someone who maybe isn't doing anything that that you could just say, look, just come and do the, do a bit before and then do the tournament for us. If you fancy it after, stay. If not, then don't. Or like, yeah, someone because you can't. You couldn't get a top manager in there. You could do the article football manager and just get someone in. Just say, like, Klopp, you can keep your Liverpool job, obviously. But if you fancy it, come and do these Euros and then we'll go from there. <laughs> we'll give you five mil. If you get to the semis of the Euros, we'll double it. See you later. That'd be class, wouldn't it? I think, I mean, at least if um, Arsene Wenger came in, the defence would be absolutely terrible. But at least he'd unleash all the forward players and just let them do, play, do yeah. what they want. Pep Guardiola or someone, just say, look, you know the English game. Just come in and, and just do this for us. Like, do you fancy it? I mean, if you popped a few mil on his head, on his bald head, he'd probably be up for it. <laughs> It's a really interesting point that you make, though. If you put enough money at these people, you know, because you might have to incentivise the club as well in some way. Because are they going to just release their managers to, or allow them to do that? It's probably not That's just the thing, What about if they just said, like, send your sister over to do the friendlies and then you just come for the tournament? Like, so, as in, like, don't worry about all the build-up. Because you all know it's a load of bollocks. I could qualify for a major tournament. <laughs> It's not hard, is it? We, the teams we play against are pathetic. So you, you get like the average Joe to do them. You get Joe Kinnear in to do the qualifiers. And then you say, cheers, Joe. And you bring in, I don't know, Pep, Klopp, even Pochettino or someone I'd rather have than the Muppets we've got in at the minute. Hang on. I think Dave's on, it says. I am. All right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Alright mate, so how long have you been on there for? Oh, just um, just 30 seconds or so, I didn't want to interrupt A good, oh, sol- okay. a, a good, a good social bashing, never uh... <laughs> Yeah, that's it 
we've been um, hammering everyone, to be fair, for the last half hour. You've been hammering West Brom for about 15 minutes solid, and then you turned your attention to Gareth Southgate, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, started picking up Southgate afterwards. I'm just sick of all these frauds in football. <laughs> so where we are then, we've got Alex Raspin, me and Dave Black on the line. How's it going, mate? Yeah, good. Thanks. Thanks for having us on. Good. So it's second time, like I put on, on Twitter, friend of the show. First time I've ever been able to say that. <laughs> first time I've had a show, first time I've had a friend. So it works out quite nicely. <laughs> what we got is our underrated players. I've got a few, I've got loads, but I've got enough. Just players that I think, when you think of your, your best all-times or you think of Prem 11s, they don't come up very often. Um, but they were, I think they were quality and maybe they deserve a bit of attention. How many have you got, Dave? Uh, I've got five written down. Um, you know, I, I, I focused on five. If you need more, we can get more. But five, five was, and I will warn you now, they are Newcastle-based for the, in, the more, in, the, in the main. I've, I've got one modern outlier. Um, just in case you, you would reject me on grounds of being too old-fashioned, but I thought I'd I thought I'd cover all bases. That's all right. I um, I've got one Newcastle. Actually, no, I've got two, and I had a third, but I got rid of him. Newcastle heavy tonight. I've got one with Newcastle links. I think maybe yeah, just one. Okay, should we do um? No point in doing positions actually because I haven't got any goalkeepers. Anyone got a goalkeeper? No. I I actually do. Um, Here we go. But it, it, it's my modern pick, so we'll get them out. We'll get them out the way early on, and then uh, and then we'll just strictly focus on the past. Um, I've <laughs> I've gone for um, Fabianski at West Ham, who I think has um, was has gone from being a bit of a joke when he was at Arsenal. You know, he was old Flappy Hansky for a while. Um, at West Ham, he's just, he, he's solid as a rock. Like he, you know, he doesn't really make a mistake anymore. He and he, he has to do a lot. With you know, with Moyes being the manager, he's, he's a busy man. But, but I think he's brilliant. I think that there's, there's not many goalkeepers in the league I'd have over him. To be quite honest, shout actually. And do you remember there was this period of time last season where he was out the team and they had was it uh, Sergio Rico was it or something? And he just kept making error after error. And you realise then um, the kind of pressure that Fabianski must be under week in week out. Yeah, they had that. I mean, possibly the worst goalkeeper we've seen in the Premier League, who was. Rico, Rico, I can't remember what his first name is. I think it was Sergio, but I might have just made that up. Yeah, well, either way, he's gone now. And <laughs> they had that, they had that <laughs> Alvin Martin's son, who wasn't much better. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, you know, maybe those two weren't the barrier, they weren't the bar to compare him against. But I, I really like him. Yeah, I'll go with you on that one. I um, like you say, I, when you think of him, you think of him he's a bit back up here at Arsenal, and then I think you go Swansea for a bit. And he went a bit quiet on the Fabianski front, obviously because he's doing a good job. And then he got moved back up to West Ham, and um, he's been solid ever since. I won't hear a bad word said against him. <laughs> Do you want to chuck someone in? Yeah, I'll go with my Newcastle link first. Then uh, he um, he hasn't played for Newcastle for a few years, but he's been described by Jurgen Klopp as the complete midfield player. So, do you got any guesses who that might be? It's, it's got to be Wayne Alden, hasn't it? Yeah. I think he's really really underrated player. He he played um, thirty five start. Well, he made thirty five starts for Liverpool last season, and you got I think the the midfield competition they've got in there with the likes of Henderson, Fabinho, Cater. 
Milner, even Lalana last season and Oxlade Chamberlain has gone a bit off the radar now. But Wynaldon played 35 games when they kind of they walked the league. There was an interesting stat this week about Wynaldon. He's got the most wins from 200 appearance, uh, appearances of any Liverpool player ever. Um, 133. And what I think is really interesting about Wijnaldum is that he plays in a totally different role for Holland. He plays as kind of an attacking midfield player. He scores a lot of goals. He's got 13 in his last 20 for Holland, which is the same as Harry Kane's got for England. Yet he'll go back to his club and he'll play kind of a deep line role where he just kind of keeps possession, turns the ball over, but does it equally effectively for both really. And I think he doesn't get anywhere near the praise that he, he deserves. Love that. Yeah, nice, nice bit of stats as well. I suppose he is, and he, he sort of sparked the, the Barcelona comeback as well, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, that was remembered for um, Divock Origi's goal, wasn't it, when Trent took the corner? But So again, yeah, easily forgotten that um, it was Ginny Wijnaldum that got to that, that night and turned the tie on its head. Yeah, strong choice. I like him. Very good player. And obviously, like you say, he's done it for his country as well, which is important, because my next one leads into that. Somebody played for England for a long time. Strong midfielder again. I stick the midfielder theme. I've gone a bit in the past. Not too far back, but enough for us to be kids. I've gone for Paul Ince. I think when we talk about um, underrated players and players that you don't really mention when you think of all-time 11s and England teams, it doesn't have to get a mention, but you think of someone in the 90s who started late 80s that played for Man United and Liverpool and also went to Serie A when it was, it was no joke over there at the time. That was a proper league. They had a lot of money being spent and he, had, he was successful everywhere. I know that maybe a little question mark over him giving it the big and then he sort of maybe had a number plate with his like the boss on or something that might have been what turned Fergie against him he scored goals not a lot but enough but he sort of broke up the players a good passer of the ball he's a great tackler 52 games 53 games for England and he was pretty central to the Euro 96 run as well um, first black player to captain the country so I think he's quite an influential footballer in his day he often gets forgotten about when you think about that United side of sort of the 90s probably because he left just before the real success was there but he's a sort of footballer that you'd take I think even in today's game he'd probably fit quite nicely in the pressing games and the sort of keep ball I think he could do a bit of everything maybe a bit like Gigi yeah and you mentioned at the start there he played for Man United and Liverpool now I've just spent the last 30 seconds whilst you've been talking trying to rack my brain thinking of somebody that else that's done that and played for the two biggest clubs in England I'm struggling <laughs> <laughs> just make a loan. What's your Sub- thoughts on Mike Learn, Dave? Do you hate him? Oh, he's subhuman scum, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, just, I just don't like Mike Loan. I do like Paul Ince, though. I think that's a good a good choice. Um, obviously, during lockdown, when all we could watch was the past um, and there was a lot of like, World Cup reruns on, I remember watching the England-Argentina game from the 98 World Cup and obviously we played most of the second half in extra time with, with 10 men and, and Ince was outstanding in that game. Um, him and Batty both did a hell of a job in front of the back four um, but I agree it, I think the problem with defensive midfielders is that, that you don't really appreciate them until they're in a team that's under the cosh a lot and kind of like the more he played for better teams he probably wasn't at the forefront of people's uh, people's minds because he was just doing a solid job but in games like that where England's backs were against the, against the wall he was, uh, he was brilliant I think there's definitely what you just said there about defensive midfielders I think that's definitely a recurring theme with this because you could argue that Ginny Wijnaldum is one of those for Liverpool and another two are the ones that I've picked and I think one of them is a real he's criminally underrated they're defensive midfield players and I think it's just because you know they're not scoring goals they're not they're doing the bits that kind of nobody else wants to do in the middle of the park and often you don't notice them Do you want to go with your midfielders then? I'd be interested to see who you've got yeah, so the, the the main one, I think it possibly the most underrated player on, on my list. 
uh, going with Michael Carrick. Yeah. He, um, he got caught up in the, the Lampard and Gerrard era for England. So he's, he won 34 England caps. Well, when you think that he played literally at the kind of pinnacle of English football, he played, I mean, played for Man United for 13, 14 seasons, well over 400 appearances for them, 17 major trophies, but he's got 34 international caps. Just seems ridiculous when you think about it. And he's one of the only players that I, when I saw him live, I thought he was 100 times better live than he ever looked on TV. Um, he just completely controlled the game and made me think completely differently about him. Um, even in the latter stages of his career, I think when he was um, about 2016, 2017, man, man, every time he played, which wasn't very often, Man United always seemed to win the games. Dave, do you want to have a little mention on him? Do you think he's a good pick? Um, I do. He's a good Geordie lad. Um, you can't forget that. Um, but I was always really surprised that uh, Fabio Capello didn't pick him more. I thought he was Capello's type of player. Um, I wouldn't say you know an exact replica of, of Pirlo, but someone who played in that kind of area of the field and could spray a ball about. Um, I thought he was Capello's ideal man for that job, but he preferred Gareth Barry, bizarrely. Um, and I, like I say, I really agree that he probably should have got more caps. Um, it seems almost impossible to think now that someone who plays a Man U week in week out wouldn't get picked by England, because that seems to be <laughs> the, way, the, way, the way Southgate works, is if you play for a top club, you're in, and if you don't, then good luck to you. So yeah, I'm, I'm a bit surprised he, he didn't get more than 34 caps. Yeah, I'm having him as well. I'm, I'll, I'll back you on that one, I think, so. And I think a lot of these players from these lists are um, sort of, if you're a fan of that club, you know what he's about, you know how good they are. I would imagine most Man United fans would be saying, well, yeah, obviously, he's quality. Look at all, everything he won. But like you say, if you, don't, if you haven't seen him play and you're not following him a lot, he just sort of slips under. I've never, ever seen his name in, in a Prem all-time eleven. And 17 major trophies he won, and not, they weren't Mickey Mouse trophies either. There's a Champions League in there. Then there's presumably multiple Premier League titles in there. You know, he was at the kind of the forefront of all of that, and yet you, you almost forget about him now. Obviously, he's associated with Solskjaer and everything that's going on at Man United at the moment, isn't he now? So his, his career's going down the toilet pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a lovely footballer as well, add to that. He's not just an underrated player, he was a like, aesthetic and pleasing, good on the ball. Could knock a long pass, had a good strike on him, reads the game well. I'd say he's, in terms of a football brain as well, he's right up there. Have you got any defensive mids in there, Dave? Uh, I don't. The closest I've got is uh, more of a... I guess he, he started off as a bit of a box-to-box midfielder. Towards the end of his career, he became a, more of a hold midfielder. Uh, and that's Rob Lee. Um, <laughs> now, you may not remember Rob Lee at his peak, but he was in Keegan's Entertainers. And for midfield, he was getting... 10, 7, 9, 8 league goals in consecutive seasons. Um, not bad for, for midfield player, but he was absolute epitome of a box-to-box midfield player. He was kind of the Lampard of his day and that he would arrive late in the box and he'd you know, get his goals that way from driving in. Again, for me, really underrated. He um, stalwart now midfield for a lot of years and like I said, towards the end of his career, um, if you take out the time when you know Ruud Hullett fell out with him for no reason, so Bobby ended up bringing him back in and he played more of a more of a hold midfield role to allow the likes of Kieran Dyer and other sort of young whippersnappers to get forward and uh, he did that exceedingly well as well so I don't think he's probably appreciated outside of Newcastle and, and possibly West Ham but uh, he was uh, he was a big part of that, that team in the in the mid-90s. I was just going to say there Dave I reckon you maybe have to be a Newcastle United fan to appreciate that one what do you reckon Scott? Yeah because I've only ever seen him on like these Newcastle 4 Leicester 3 like when he's involved in the play I know he was obviously a player. You just got to look at him at games. He played at top level, and that Newcastle side that almost won the title was a 
proper good side. You'd have to be some footballer to get in it. But I don't. I've never. I haven't seen him play enough. I will take your word on this one. I think. <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, it's, you're probably not going to see any Robley highlight reels. But uh, I was just thinking of the, you know the team we had back then, and who obviously you'd think of Janola, you'd think of probably Beardsley, Esprit, Ferdinand. Yeah. Um, and I think Rob Lee was as important as all of them, um, but probably underappreciated. Do you reckon his name counts against him? Because it's forgettable. It's just generic. Uh, he's, got, he's got very few letters going on, hasn't he? Like he's, uh, <laughs> he, needs, he needs something more exotic to get noticed these days. I wonder if that counts against him. <laughs> another, one, another one that I've got is Gareth Barry. He's, he's got, you mentioned him earlier, Dave, but I think he's, he's underrated. Not as underrated as like Carrick, for example, but... Again, he's just got the most sort of generic name going, if you like. But he's he's the record. He's got the record for Premier League appearances, and there's only one person's even close to him, which is Ryan Giggs. Um, Barry's got 653 Premier League appearances, but uh, also besides his name, obviously, he uh, he spent the bulk of his career at Villa as well, which possibly counts against him because the bulk of his career was spent not winning any major trophies, not really doing kind of anything, mm-hmm. um, apart from coming seventh, eighth, ninth in the Premier League. But obviously, later on in his career, he did he did win some trophies with, um, with Manchester City, the Premier League trophy. Before he, uh, I think he moved to Everton, didn't he? I think he was quite popular there, and then ended up at West Brom, of course. Yeah, he was good for us as well. He was, I mean, I think we got him when he was about thirty four or thirty five, and he he was still a good player at the time. He could still do his bits. He did try and steal a taxi, of course. He did. I think that works for him actually. I do because because Pardew was the manager, and anyone who's trying to mug him off is absolutely fine with me. So. Yeah, it's fucking old Pardew. Didn't he sign a six-year deal at the tune at one point? I think it was eight, but um, God, still paying him now. No, I think it's I think it's finally over. But we were paying off for a long time. <laughs> it's it's farcical, isn't it? We were just talking about international football actually, and all the frauds in in management positions and in the international jobs. And he's another one. Just for Albion, it was embarrassing. Honestly, the football under him. He's coming, giving it the big and like he's going to turn us around. And we, we're even worse. We, we got even worse. I remember a uh, totally pointless anecdote, but I was, when you appointed Pardew, I remember arguing with David Law, the tennis correspondent for BBC, because he was saying, oh, you know, Pardew's going to save us and all this. I was like, just bookmark this tweet in six months and you'll be, you'll hate every second of them. Yeah. I was never pet, petty enough to go back and point it out, but... Uh, I would have definitely been petty enough. I'm <laughs> Back today on on the Twitter with someone about Sam Johnson, the West Brom keeper, and I've already screenshotted it ready. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on to more attacking players, if you want, because I've got a bundle of them. Um, Unless you've got any more left in the sort of midfield areas, anyone? No, no, not for me. No, I've just got two strikers left now. Yeah, I think last midfielder I got, I'll just quickly play him because I got I had to grab a West Brom player in there. I got Jason Kumas. I know that he never really did it at the top level. He was in and out, sort of wigging at West Brom. But in terms of raw talent and ability, same as you said about watching Carrick, he's one of the best players I've ever seen play. If he picked up the ball, he's his first thought. He's driving forwards. He could pick a pass, left foot, right foot. I saw a bit today when I was looking at stuff about him that said um, someone wrote an article for the Guardian and they said he had as much raw talent as Steven Gerrard at the age of 16. He just he just couldn't be bothered, basically. He just didn't have the assistance <laughs> or the ability. He didn't have the mindset. So he just sort of, he went to Tramia, they went to Liverpool and he um, 
he just floated. I've got a, another pointless, another pointless story on the pod. My uncle lived next door to Andy Johnson, the ex uh, West Brom player, and he told him that a couple of days before preseason training, Kumas had run because they're Wales teammates. He said, uh, "Andy, uh, when are we going back to training, mate? Because I'm away." He said, "Well, we're back on Monday." And it was like, it was like the Saturday. He said, "All right, and I'll see you there." <laughs> he obviously had no idea like what was going on when training was and he was on holiday still so like I say point of sound though but it just sort of pinpoints where his, where his mind was at he's known as a bit of an enigma isn't he Jason Kumas I think I've read something about he is he made himself deliberately impossible to get hold of or track down won't do interviews or anything like that something like that I, I, there was a podcast about a guy trying to track him down that was like 45 minutes long and the best he got was a 20 second phone call and Kumas was like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll call you back. Yeah, I'm, I am interested. I'll call you back. And then he never called him back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I knew I hadn't made it up. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the fact he's felt the need to like, go incognito implies that he gets a lot of requests for interviews. But I mean, no disrespect to Jason Kumas, but I can't imagine, you know, people are banging down the door to speak to him. You wouldn't think so. I mean, he was, his biggest thing was probably he was um, Championship Player of the Year, which is decent, but it's not like the top level. So I can't, like you say, I can't imagine everyone's looking to get an interview with him. No, that's, I mean, again, like to win that two years in a row implies that, like, you're like you, you, why didn't you get a move? But like upper league, if you were good enough to be the best player in the division, surely someone would have taken a punt on you. Yeah, question marks in it about his. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that he played at a time where he would have earned enough money to kind of not have to worry him for the rest of his life? Because uh, I would have thought maybe not, and therefore he might have have to have a normal job. Someone must know where he is or what he's doing. <laughs> I, 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 do, I can't believe like Jason Kumas is like flogging cars. Like <laughs> I, I imagine, like even like the footballer's pension now, you'd be alright. I think, wouldn't you? I'd, I'd imagine so. He probably done quite. He was probably our highest paid player three or four years, and then he was at Wigan when they were in the Prem when when um, Whelan was throwing money around. So he probably got quite a nice deal there. I mean, he's he sounds like a sensible man. I bet he's invested in like property or something. He'll be alright. Yeah, I think I like to say I I can't imagine him doing a nine to five. He could barely do like an eight to eleven. <laughs> <laughs> go on, then we'll go with you, Dave. First, we'll see what Newcastle strikers we got. My striker is Andy Cole, um, and it's purely because he was an absolute goal machine for not just us but for Man United, and he got fifteen England caps, which is nowhere near enough for a man who scored what was it two hundred. 200 odd Premier League goals. I've got the exact figure to hand, but he um, he was lethal, absolutely lethal everywhere he went. Um, and the first, our first season in the Premier League, 93 94, he got 34 and 40 for a newly promoted club. He then got 9 and 18 before shifting off to Man United, where he got 12 and 18. Then I think he broke a leg and it was a little bit ropey for a few scenes, and obviously he came back and won the treble. He's underappreciated in a time where a lot of our strikers were kind of like they weren't Alan Shearer, so they weren't necessarily as appreciated. Uh, certainly at national level, like Sir Fowler, Ian Wright, Andy Cole. And I, I, I don't know why he didn't get more of a chance, because, again, playing for who were pretty much the dominant force in the country and scoring goals for the dominant force in the country, I, I don't know why he wasn't, uh, wasn't given more of a chance at, at, at a national level. You know, you just said something. I was thinking those exact uh, players that you just said for England there. Um, Bobby Fowler straight away come ahead when you started yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, and Ian Wright, but I think what the problem with England at that time was they were, I mean, Shearer, was, he was in, he was a given. And then you're looking for the best person to play alongside him, aren't you? Which was Sheringham um, kind of a, for a lot of that time. And I, I guess if you couldn't form a partnership with Shearer for whatever reason, then, then you weren't playing and that was that. 
Yeah, and then I guess Michael Owen came along and kind of sewed that spot up for the next ten years, didn't he? So it was um Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was probably just bad timing for him. But so like Shearer had a few big injuries, um, which you would have thought would have given a chance to some of these guys, but obviously not. But yeah, I mean for me as a Newcastle fan, obviously Shearer is the best ever, but um Andy Cole's conversion rate was absolutely incredible. Um him and Beardsley was a partnership that Again, you probably wouldn't remember unless you went and looked for it, but they, they had a great understanding together. And I say to come up and finish, I think we finished fifth in our first season back up. It was uh, it was incredible, really. Don't they hold some sort of joint record? I can't remember what it is, but it's something to do with the goal amount, isn't it? Two players to score over 30 goals each in a season for the same side. Is that right? It sounds likely. Yeah, it could be something like that. I say that that first year back, that was really when we were entertainers. I mean, everything else after that was good, but that was... Uh, that was something else that that first season, which again, kind of gets forgotten about because of all the drama that happened later on in the nineties. But that that first year back, we were uh, it was, was goals laden to say the least. On them compilations of, like I said earlier, like Leicester three, Newcastle four. You got, I think there's three games in a row on it. It's like Nick Hancock's football hell. I think all of them are Newcastle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was. I wouldn't change it. Well, obviously, you know, we had we had good days, we had bad days, but. It is what it is. Like, I'd rather you know, I'd rather have had it than not had it. I'd, if we'd, if we'd finished tenth those two seasons, I wouldn't. I wouldn't feel any happier. So, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it'd be nice to taste a bit of glory. I don't know what it feels like. <laughs> <laughs> well, me, well, me neither, really. <laughs> no, that's yeah, it might even be worse for you actually because you were right on the brink of it. Yeah, well, let's pretend that's not true. Just for <laughs> just, just for a little bit. <laughs> Go on, Raz. Are you going to bring us in the striker department? I'm going to bring you. This is my favourite pick now. Only because some of the stats on him are just ridiculous, really. It's um, Olivier Giroud, who has scored the winner tonight for Chelsea, I think, in the Champions League. He must have got a rare appearance. I'm guessing he didn't start, although I don't actually know. Because he can't seem to get in the Chelsea team these days, can he? He's got Tammy Abraham ahead of him, if it's not... Um, not Timo Werner, but some some interesting things about Olivier Giroud. He, di- he didn't even start playing international football until he was 25. And he's now got over 100 caps for France. And he's got 44 goals as well, which is he's very close to becoming the all-time leading goal scorer for France. Um, he, and he's I think he's about five or six behind Thierry Henry, but he's done in kind of almost in nine years what it took Thierry Henry 13 years to do. And you'd never put those two kind of in the same category together, would you? He'd always take Henri over Olivier Giroud, or so you would think, but he's got a better goals to games ratio for France than Henri, Benzema, uh, Griezmann. He's obviously a World Cup winner. Got over 80 goals for Arsenal in, in all competitions, not not far off a goal every couple of games. Um, but he's not somebody you'd ever... Uh, springs to mind as a top-class striker, but his, his stats stack up with anybody. Yeah, I wouldn't have even... I wouldn't even... I had no idea his, his goal scoring was so prolific, so he's, I suppose he's perfect for underrated tag. Why do you think he got so many goals for uh, for France? Because they're not like the I don't imagine they play it with strength particularly. You know, they don't strike me as the type of team who would you know sling balls in the box and like that. Um, yeah, in the World Cup he he didn't score a goal, did he? But he played every game. He started every game. So, um, might be a bit like what we said before about strike partnerships with Shearer and what and whatnot. Perhaps he he plays just plays well with Mbappe or whoever else he's had to play with down the years. And he's got hundred over hundred caps in just nine years. That's a lot of caps that he's. He's getting suggests he's keeping fit and he's playing in pretty much every game there. Well, fair play to him because, uh, like you say, he hasn't even been a regular at Arsenal really, but it's got to go down as another um, 
you know, Wenger fine, doesn't it? Like, as you say, he didn't play national football, he was 25. Wenger must have plucked him from uh, wherever it was. should know that. can't remember where they got him from now. Montpellier. Yeah, that's the one. Um, was he part of that Montpellier team that randomly won the French League that, that year? I think he was. And he was the top goal, goal scorer in the league, wasn't he, that year? Because it was like it was like him and John Utaka, and that was somehow what won the league. It was bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we know what the French League's about. <laughs> that's a bit like Leicester winning the English League, isn't it, really? I think that's the kind of equivalent. Yeah, I think it was. Because um, we, I mean, we got their centre-back, Young uh, and Bewa, but he was less good for us, shall we say. I'll, um, I'll chuck a striker in the mix then. I've got pretty much most of my players were, were strikers. I'll throw in, um, it seems obvious when you say his name, but he's another one that you don't think about enough. Uh, Ruud van Nistelrooy. He scored, his goal record is just unbelievable sitting in front of me now. And again, you, everyone knows how good he is, but I don't think that he gets the credit he deserved. He scored 95 goals in 150 games in the Prem for United, 150 in 219 in all competitions. He was 64 and 96 at Real Madrid, and that was when I would say he was potentially he wasn't past his best, but he wasn't as good as he had been. Um, he started his career at PSV 77 in 90, scored a couple at Hamburg as well. But the thing as well, like you said about Shearer, he had to come back from a terrible injury to start his main United career, and he still banged all those goals in. So he's um he's joined United after I think I can't remember exactly what it was it was his knee, wasn't it? That was iffy, and he missed a whole year of football pretty much at PSV. Yeah. I mean, what a team he was playing in! First of all, at Man United, that was one of the probably yeah. one of the all-time best teams in the Premier League that, that we've seen. But yeah, he he was such a clinical finisher, wasn't he? You didn't want him to be playing against you. I know that for sure. And like, like you just say, there his goal record, not just at Man United, which was really impressive. What he, what you just said he'd done there at Real Madrid, which I, I didn't even realise. He, he was de- yeah, he definitely. Wasn't. I had no idea, mate. I, I just looked at. I never even. He as soon as he left United for me, he was off the radar because he's gone to Real Madrid. Didn't hear much about him. I just presumed he was like whittling his career away, just picking up a wage to sit on the bench. I had no idea he was scoring pretty much two and three. It's a bit hit and miss in the Dutch league, isn't it? You never know what you're going to get. Really, they've obviously picked up an absolute gem there, but you could get Alfonso Alves, couldn't you? Like Middlesbrough did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> little stat I found here about Omri versus Drogba. Have you seen this flying around Twitter over the last few weeks? No, I haven't actually. It's Omri versus Drogba. Goals in finals, Omri 1, Drogba 10. Semi-final goals, Omri 2, Drogba 7. Quarter-final goals, Omri 4, Drogba 8. Champions League goals, Omri 35, Drogba 36. Goals versus the top, top 4, Omri 23, Drogba 23. Trophies, Omri 4, Drogba 12. Who's the better striker? Omri um, was overrated, wasn't he? <laughs> is, that, is that what you're having from this? That Omri was overrated? <laughs> yeah, definitely not. As much as I like Drogba as well, I had no idea. I know he's a, they call him big game players, don't they? And he scored in a few finals and that. I had no idea he eclipsed Omri so heavily, though. I think uh, Omri's choice of club for most of that time probably didn't do any favours. Drogba was in the old winning machine at uh, at Chelsea. Yeah, exactly. In terms of Newcastle, I've still got two Newcastle players sat on my list. I'll give them a quick mention for you, you know, just out of respect to the Newcastle boys. I've got Nobata Solano, I thought was a bit underrated in his day. Superb, yeah. In terms, just, as a, just as a footballer, just, just to watch. I really like, I liked him as a player. And I've got I've got it in brackets, uh, potential, um, Andy Carroll. I, I, so, I really wanted it to work out for Andy Carroll, um, but it never quite happened, did it? Uh, Andy Carroll, like the first time we had him when he came through our academy, that I'll never forget those first um, 
the first six months as a Premier League player, obviously came up in the Championship and he he'd done well in the in the latter half of the season. And that he went through this spell where have you seen um, Limitless the film where yeah. basically it was like he'd take an NZT in every game because it was just like he knew how to attack a ball. He was always in the right area, both at both ends of the field. It was like having an extra centre half on every set piece because he was just a magnet. Like he was just his head was on every ball, and it was it was wonderful. It, it was he just attacked everything, and it was it was like the good old days of just getting the ball wide to Barton, who would just hang a cross up, and Andy Carroll would just throw his six foot five frame at it. Like it doesn't matter where it was, he just. And he'd get something on it, and it was great for six months. Then he got injured and left, so um, that was less good. But um, we got thirty-five million for him, and now he's back, and he's an absolute shadow of what he used to be. In that, I don't think I've seen him win a header the whole time he's been back for the last eighteen months. Like he, he either can't jump or won't jump. Do you think that's to do with uh, Sam Allardyce talks about his his problems of his ankles and Slavan Bilic? Talks about wanting to build a team around him, but his knees couldn't do it. Do you think he's he's just stopped <laughs> stopped jumping? I think he's physically shot completely. Um, he's probably better with his feet now than he's with his head. Yeah, he was always quite good with his feet. Anyway, I thought he was underrated in terms of he was he's left foot, right foot a little bit. He's, he he wasn't fast, obviously, but he could hold a ball up well with his size and his his interplay was quite decent. Yeah, he had all the tools. He did, yeah. I say for the, the time he was with us, I, I couldn't complain the first time around. He gave us absolutely everything and obviously got a promotion and I think we were, we were about seventh on the table when he when he got injured. After, what, what happened after that, you know, I think the injuries did take the toll. Liverpool was never the right move for him. He always did a job for England in those days as well. I mean, I think we can all remember the, the Sweden game in the in Euro 2012 when he um, he, yeah. scored the, he scored the winner or the equaliser, whatever it was. But yeah, he was, he was an option. I think... There's always someone in English football fans who'd like a, a big striker, for, certainly for the last 10 minutes if you're getting beat, like to have that that option. I, I mean, again, going off a tangent here, but I hate when teams are chasing games and they're still passing sideways on, on the halfway line in the 93rd minute of four added on. Like, really, just get it forward. Like, yeah. You're not going to score the perfect goal this time. Right, you got anyone else you want to chuck in? My last one then, another striker. Um, I've gone for Eski. Um, somebody the raised him on the, yeah. yeah, you put a tweet the other day. Someone um, replied. I think it was called Dev, wasn't it? Sorry, I forgot your name wrong there. Um, he was. I think people forget really what what a goal scorer he was originally because it was all kind of before the days of three football matches on TV um, in the kind of the the nineties and whatnot. He scored a lot of goals for Leicester, even in his his first couple of seasons for Liverpool. He scored a lot of goals. There was that year where Liverpool won the treble, got won the um, UEFA Cup, the League Cup, the FA Cup. And then they won the Super Cup as well, um, the start of the next season. He, he got 22 goals that, that year. But he kind of became a foil for Michael Owen kind of after that um, and developed kind of into more of a target man, didn't he, really? And he, he didn't get many goals for England. But I, as I mentioned just previously, I wonder if... Because um, uh, by the time you were watching kind of two or three games every Sunday on TV, he was playing for the likes of Birmingham and Wigan and his <laughs> days of being top Premier League goal scorer, long forgotten really, but I think he, he was underrated and you got to think, he was first choice for England in, he played in that Germany game where we won 5-1, he was the first choice for England there up front with Michael Owen and he was first choice for England up front with Michael Owen in 2010 at the World Cup in South Africa <laughs> as well so there's some longevity there as well uh, even though I think there was a bit in between where obviously Rooney came to the fore and wasn't exactly first, uh, he wasn't exactly first choice then Heskey, but I do think he's underrated I think his England goal record will always count against him. It's something like five and fifty or something like that. Yeah. But I think it's fair to say that he probably got Michael Owen twenty goals. 
without having the figures in front of us. He was pivotal to what England were trying to do at the time, which to this day is probably still a mystery to Sven. But um, <laughs> yeah. when Sven used to play on the left, like, that didn't make any sense. Yeah, he was another international manager, someone who made their name. I think he got a ton of money at Lazio, managed to get one title, and then he was the highest paid highest paid manager in the world. It's ridiculous. I know. I mean, I was talking to someone about this the other day. Where I used to like always. I used to defend Sven back in the good old days. I was like, you know, he's he's doing the best he can. He's a, he's an international manager. He knows what he's doing. And now looking back, like he basically he was just a womanizer who had all this money, and that's <laughs> it was just his, just his dream scenario, really. Like, <laughs> who wouldn't like that? Paid multi millionaire to do one of the easiest jobs going. Really, we were saying earlier the qualification for these tournaments is is a joke. You could anyone can manage that. The only time you've got to start earning your money is when the tournament kicks off. Yeah, and you know, his ace on the hole was playing four four two every single game. Fucking <laughs> like, nipping skulls in at left mid and stuff. It's just madness. Uh, we never <laughs> even tried to never really tried to address that. It's like, ah, oh, well, Hesky, yeah, that'll do, right? Next, yeah. Yeah, back on Hesky later. He, um, like you say, you've got to remember he, he completely changed. He was when he broke for at Leicester when he was a kid. He was all power and pace, wasn't he? And he'd run defenders and. Nipping past people, and then he had to, like, I suppose, the introduction of Owen at Liverpool sort of forced him to because he wasn't the fastest then by a long shot. And he had Fowler was a better finisher, probably changed his game to adapt to sort the other two out, really. Yeah, once he filled out and stopped being, as you say, the Pacey striker when he was like 19 at Leicester, mm-hmm. obviously changed his game and was less of a less of a goal threat, shall we say. But yeah, I think you know, you can be a threat in other ways, as he uh, as we just talked about, he was he was useful for the team so. I thought we were talking about Sven again, womanising. <laughs> he was a threat, that's for certain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, on the register now. Was, uh, <laughs> talking about um, Liverpool, I did write another one down from Liverpool. I'll knit that one out quickly just because it fits in quite nicely. I wrote this hard one because we all know about him now. Stan Collymore, I think you forget that when he broke through and when he was coming up, he was a, he was a very good footballer, but he... Um, Obviously, had his own demons and things didn't work out for him. But statistically, he got one and two at Liverpool and he scored 41 and 65 at Forest um, to take them up through the league. And then, obviously, Michael Owen come through and sort of oust him at Liverpool. And then, he's, I, don't know, I don't know what was going on in his life then, but he's obviously suffered with a lot of mental health issues. So I think his career went down the pan a bit. But when he first came through, his left foot, right foot, good in the air. He'd come in from the wings. He was just a, he was just a good all-round player. He's someone like his indiscretions kind of come before him now, don't they? I think I think people don't remember him for the player that he was. They just remember him for, you know, hitting Ulrika Johnson or whoever it was and he's constant political nonsense that he comes out with on Twitter these days. He was actually very good on the radio, I thought, when he was on there for a bit. And he, he was a very good player for Liverpool, not just Liverpool, but Nottingham Forest as well. Great great for Forest back in the when he first started, wasn't he? Yeah, I think, he, like I say, 41 goals in 65 games. It was no joke. And he was only a kid then coming through. And then he was a, the record British signer. I think he was eight and a half mil for Liverpool. There's a few stories on the Magic Sponge about him. I don't know if you listen to the Magic Sponge by Tony Warner, the ex-Liverpool sub-keeper. Um, and he just says that he used to basically just nightmare. I can believe. Yeah, he, just, just, he said he'd be really nice to you and that. And then he'd just suddenly turn on people. He talks about him having a fight with... Well, he had a fist fight with him and then he had a fight with someone else and he fell out with Ruddock and David James. You can't be doing that. If you're coming into a squad as a, as a young English signing, like you need 
you need your backup and your team around you. If you start falling out of all the big names in the squad, it's not going to last very long. And obviously, it didn't. I think it was in there for two years. Yeah, I mean, you just mentioned some of the names there. It was a hell of a dressing room, wasn't it? Like, I can imagine you're either, you're either in or you're out, with, like with Ruddock and that type sort of knocking around. Like, you're, uh, you're either in the club or you're not. And I imagine once you got on the wrong side of them, there was, uh, it was probably quite hard to get back in. <laughs> You can find us on Twitter at P-O-A-H-T-1.